And there's very rare do I see someone who does a PB first half who gets a PB second half. It does happen. It, there are exceptions. But if mm. you start conservatively, you give yourself more opportunity to actually get a total PB. Your second half will be a big PB because because that's how you get the personal best performance by starting conservatively and trying to even split or negative split if you're if you're capable of doing it. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. We had 21 athletes compete in a half Ironman last weekend, and almost every single one did a PB. And was this because of our elite coaching? Well, we'd like to think so, but actually no. It was mostly because the swim was short. For safety reasons, they reduced the swim to only a kilometre instead of the traditional 1,900 metres. Did athletes still PB their bike and run legs? Absolutely, and that's worth celebrating. But it raises a really important point in triathlon races. Are PBs important? And how do we aim for one when there's so many varying factors? We believe here that it's absolutely worthwhile aiming for a PB but there's a lot you need to consider into your race plan. So today we're going to go through everything you need to know about PBs and how to PB your next triathlon. Dad, welcome back to another episode. Start with our normal segment, what are you grateful for? Good introduction, Jordan. I'm looking forward to this topic. The gratitude is a really easy one because we were talking off air about, um, I think it's our 200th episode coming up in a couple of weeks' mm -hmm. time. And the fact that we've been doing one episode each week without fail and when I added that up, that's four years of podcasting and uh, podcast each week. And I'm unbelievably grateful um, that we have that many people who are supporting us and following us and coming up to us at races and texting us and emailing who are really grateful as well um, for the fact that we give away all of our free coaching tips on our podcast. And that makes me incredibly proud and um, it's a really big milestone to be doing this for this long and uh, and our, our following is growing. Uh, people are just on the weekend, someone emailed me before the Ironman Arizona race uh, to say that they're, they're feeling so prepared. I don't know this person. They've, they've designed their program from our podcast coaching tips and they felt that they've never been as prepared in their life for and they've done some some Ironmans before, um, and I actually got online and followed them. And I couldn't help myself, and it was great to see that um, that she actually performed really well, and I can't wait to actually have an email back to her to say, uh, uh, well done. Um, and, yeah, that, that my gratitude is that uh, we're actually able to help others, and, and they're, in fact, in turn, grateful to us. So it's a double gratitude, and... Uh, I just want to make the point that, you know, even if it's in podcasting or mowing the lawn or if you stay consistent at something, you will get a really good outcome eventually. It might take four years. It might take your lawn three years before it gets the way you, you want it to look like. Uh, the hedge is trimmed properly. But if you stay consistent with something, um, and our following was very minor at the start, and I think you would be able to tell me. So, yeah, if, if you stay consistent in training, um, in podcasting, uh, eventually good things happen. Yeah, I agree. The amount of cool messages we get from people is awesome. And um, it's funny to think about, you know, in those first, um, I don't know, 50 episodes maybe, 
there was great information in there. We, I think there was great information in there, but the the potential audio quality or or um, editing quality of them wasn't as good. But people still email us about those early episodes, and they get enough out of it. So that's always interesting. I can't stand going back and listening to them because I just cringe. But that's I think everyone's like that with their own voice or recording. Uh, my gratitude is. Uh, quite a simple one, but um, it's about embracing mistakes and imperfections, I think, um, whether it's in training or racing. Uh, and it happens a lot where we, we maybe might do, not do a session as well or even just general things in life where you um, you learn, it's so cliche, but you learn the most from the mistakes and failures that you make. And we see it a lot in racing lessons where you learn a really big lesson in a race, but it only drives you forward and it makes the next period of training even more valuable. Um, and I just see it applying in so many contexts where um, if you're not making mistakes and you're not embracing those imperfections, you aren't able to grow and actually it would be pretty boring and you actually wouldn't get anywhere because you just stay on a flat line the whole time. You know, it takes those periods of um, adaptation to actually get somewhere out of it. And uh, one of the key examples is in in the training progress. You know, it's often two steps forward, potentially half a step or one step back. You know, you experience some fatigue, you adapt to the stimulus, you kind of flatline, you use the stair example constantly where you go up the stairs, but then there's the flat section of the next step, then you go up that. Um, most people's fitness graph and improvement goes off that, but without those lulls, without potential mistakes or errors, uh, you're not going to get that. So I think it's important to not be grateful for just the positive things, but to embrace the negative things and know that that actually leads to, um, yeah, you getting stronger, you getting fitter, or in the case of just general life, uh, improving as a person. So a quick what's caught our attention before we get into the main topic of the episode, and we were just, again, chatting off air about the marathon boom that's been happening over the last few years. Marathons are becoming more and more popular, which we're super excited about. I reckon we did an episode, I don't know, 50 or 100 episodes ago, talking about how running is really taking off. I think it was in COVID when it was, we really noticed it taking off around the world because people really wanted something to do. But we're so excited for that because we just absolutely love running and we love the amount of people wanting to challenge themselves uh, in the sport. And we love nothing more than to see fun runs, events, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, park runs being absolutely filled up because uh, running is just such a, a great thing to do. So, um, yeah, I think we're just chatting about the marathon boom and, and kind of what's happening worldwide and, and commenting on, uh, yeah, kind of the trends that are happening and what we're seeing. I love uh, this caught our attention because generally we're talking about um, who's done something sensational in the world uh, of sport, whether it be running, you know, we're always banging on about Inga Britson or uh, Kipchoge or Kiptum or or any of the elite triathletes and runners and cyclists, um, Tour de France, et cetera. But, but this one, this is, this is the everyday uh, age grouper, um, the person who's got a, a little challenge that they've set themselves. And I think... I'm just so rapt to see Marathon take its stage in the world of, of uh, health and fitness. I think it's a great thing. Uh, I remember running marathons in the 80s and 90s uh, up outside of triathlon. And I was super excited to run uh, an individual marathon without a freaking <laughs> bike ride and a swim in front of it. Um, so so this is just music to my ears. And, and we were talking off air a little bit about the standard um, – of marathon running and the depth of marathon running and the the amount of people who are able to finish a marathon now. And it was interesting, there's sort of a positive and a negative here because we've got so many more people uh, taking up the challenge of marathon um, who might be a five-hour marathoner or a 5.30 or a four-and-a-half-hour marathon. And those people uh, back in my day would never have entered the event. 
because it was only serious runners who ever did a marathon. And now we've got, you know, staff at work saying, yeah, I'll do the marathon. And then a week later they see them training and oh, I might do that. And all of a sudden you've got this um, steamrolled effect of people joining in. And, and it is a huge challenge for the majority of people. They may never have run before or that their longest run might've been 5k. And to go from the couch to 5k to a marathon is massive step. But, but I think triathlon has helped that a lot because, you know, a triathlon is a 10 to 15 or 16 or 17 hour event where at the start, very few people were able to do that. You know, they were in their hundreds. Now there's hundreds of thousands of people who've done an Ironman. And I think marathon is following that a little bit and it's a lot easier. There's less equipment. It's not as expensive. It's easier to train. It's, it's less time. And I think it's just an a really good thing to do and and besides the issue of injury and the body not really robust enough with the modern lifestyle we have where we're kind of very sedentary and we could be office people who spend a lot of time sitting down I think it is a lot more challenging to be a good runner now than it was maybe in the 80s or 90s when a lot of the work we were doing was less uh, office style working it was more manual type of labor so you were quite physically fit um, and your body was quite robust and maybe our diet's um, not as good maybe or worse then or better now I don't know but but there's a lot of things that that are different to when it was when it was when I was doing it and and so I'm just ecstatic to see and look the negative was uh, because there's so many people who are a lot slower doing marathons now which I think is great which encourages other people who are feeling like they're not good enough well if that person did it in five hours ten I can I can surely have a go at this event there's, there's no there's no embarrassment around a slow marathon time anymore so I think that's made it more inviting and encouraging for everybody to have a go at it it's still a hard event I'm not diminishing how difficult a marathon is to run it's it's really difficult um everything about it the training and and the performance on the day and and your preparation has to be spot on to get it right because it's a long walk if you if you haven't got it right um so so I'm the depth of the actual event um so now we've got um, in percentage in the old days in the 80s and 90s if you were running say between three hours and 330 that would be the majority of the field because they're all really good runners now the average time is probably between three hours 40 and maybe four hours 30 that would be my estimate from the data that I've seen you could back that up that's amazing and it would have been in the three something I think you did say it was 350 something in the yeah. Early 2000s. I saw a stat that said in 2001, the average was 358. So it's gone down because, as you're saying, more people are accessing it. A wider range of Yeah, athletes. and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So so that's what's caught my attention. And I'm I'm quite excited about this boom. And um, and I would be encouraging people, if you hadn't thought about it, um, get yourself get yourself organized and... and um, you know, start thinking about where your next marathon is and um, there's so many events that are available all around the world. And ironically, most of the big races, now you have to qualify. And that's so popular. staggering. Like before you could enter a marathon yeah. two days out. Yeah, and now you you absolutely have to be, I think Melbourne closed six weeks yeah. before the race. So if you didn't enter early, yeah. you actually didn't get in the race. 
and and that just shows you the popularity of of where marathon's going and you know there's there's the big races the big melbourne marathon in australia and sydney and the gold coast marathon perth and adelaide have marathons but there's also country marathons like the trelga marathon or the warrigal um, you know there's all these little uh, marathons here there and everywhere ballarat's going to have one next year and that's the same everywhere in the world you know you've got all these other opportunities you don't have to do the big one in fact sometimes the big one's worse because logistically getting to the race is so hard um, and then queuing up and you don't you know the race starts and you don't get to the start line for five minutes because there's twenty thousand yeah. people in front of you so um so there's yeah it's it's quite an exciting period and i'm 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 really looking forward to uh, seeing where this goes. Uh, this is completely anecdotal, but my own experience being a runner our whole life, my whole life, is that I'm just seeing way more runners out on the road. You know, I, I you know, would remember as a teenager going for runs and never, ever seeing another runner around. And granted, we're in a, in a small population area, but even living in the uh, inner city Melbourne the last 10 years, um, I, I could safely say that my own experience of seeing more runners out on the roads uh, has absolutely increased, especially over the last five years. So that is interesting to note. And um, it's interesting you compare the triathlon and marathon boom. Um, We posted a video just talking about Calvin Kipton's performance. And I said in the video, it's one of the all-time greatest human performances we've ever seen in sport across all sports. It's just, you, there is no denying, no human has ever run that fast for two hours straight. You know, no human has ever run that fast for 42.2 kilometers. I mean, Kipchoge did run that fast um, with pace, etc. but no one has run it on their own. It's just, it's just the epitome of human performance. And I had a few internet trolls coming back at me um, saying, oh, you mustn't ever have heard of the Ironman. That's way tougher. I just laugh saying, we obviously have no idea what we do for, for our job, but, you know, telling us that we've never heard of an Ironman. But they're different, they're different categories, you know. The, the Ironman is a lot, more of a, um, a lot more of a slow slog than the, the marathon. You're, yes, you're doing a marathon at the end of two sports, um, but it's a different event when you're doing a marathon fresh. And I think that's super fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, a, it's one of the all-time classic races in history. You know, it's an Olympic event. It's just, it's just you as, the, as a human body running 42.2 kilometers as fast as you can. Uh, when you talk about the stats, you know, this, referring to more stats from last year, I think if you run under three hours, you're about in the top one to 2% of runners. You know, that's bloody awesome. If you're running under 3.30, you're in the top 10%. So that kind of shows this, the standard of where you're at. So, yeah, it is, it is super fascinating and, and we love it and we want to um, keep encouraging it because we love athletics. We love half marathon, marathon, um, and we just love seeing these events uh, absolutely boom and see more runners taking it on. Moving on that note to the topic of triathlon. And triathlon is a funny sport because no two races are the same. So how do you possibly aim for PBs when you're not in the, running the exact same conditions? And uh, in triathlon, you will rarely get the same conditions. But we want to talk about what can you do to try and improve on a past performance and aim for a PB. And there are a range of things you can do and there's a range of things you need to focus on. So let's start off with the differences. And um, most of the time, unless you're doing the exact same course, um, you, you're going to be running on yeah potentially a different course. So it's hard to compare times. Or if you are running the same course, it's different conditions on the same course. One year apart, you know, if you're running the same race, the temperatures could be different, the the wind could be different, the competition around you which can, can be different, which we saw recently. Even in the water, the, the water chop levels, um, the wind for the water can be different, the current can be different. So there's all these things you have to consider when you're considering, all right, I'm aiming for a PB here, but you might turn up the day and go, well, a PB is probably not possible today because of the external conditions. Yeah, and... On top of that, George, the example we just had in Melbourne, uh, the course yeah. was half. 
the distance. So there's an asterisk beside everybody who's done Melbourne 70.3 2023. That time will never be beaten again because they swam 900 metres instead mm-hmm. of 1,900. Yeah. So so how do you possibly put that in your PB list when it's when it's not the full 70.3? So not only are, you know, the marker boys in every, you know, if you did Melbourne five years in a row, the swim marker boys are not going to be in exactly the same spot. The current's not mm-hmm. going to be the same. So straight away, you've got different mm-hmm. swim conditions. Uh, the course might be 50 metres longer one year or 100 metres shorter the next year. Uh, generally, the, the, the run course is the same turnaround, generally, and generally the ride course is the same. But as you said, the wind could possibly be completely different. You could have a, 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 a you know, 50, 60 kilometre hour wind uh, on a, um, one year and then like last year we had absolutely glass conditions in the water and no wind and so they're completely different fastest uh, race conditions compared to this year where it was I'm just using this one mm. race example over mm. two years where everything's been so different so you can't and people are always before this event people are always saying to me oh, I really want to I really want to break five hours for the 70.3 and I'm saying well that's a great goal um, but, you know, the total time is so far away from the PB that you should be looking at compared to what you should be looking at as your PB. And we should delve right into that. But the, the course conditions and the temperature uh, and the distances that, you know, the run could be shorter or you, you could go to an event where the run is 20.4 instead of mm-hmm. 21.1 or the run is 21.6 instead of mm-hmm. 21.1. So straight away, you're doing a 70.3 with two different half half marathon mm-hmm. distances. The ride could be 86. One year at Noosa, at sorry, Sunny Coast, it was 86K and then another year it was 89. So you've got the same course with two different That's bike distances. That's a big disparity. Yeah. So, so the total time is something that you should not be really – you shouldn't really be looking at the total time as your PB goal. That's that's the first point I want to get across. Yeah, and that's what we want to go into is you know looking at execution instead for PBs. And you know for the Melbourne example, um, we had athletes who rode faster time of the ninety k and ran a faster time than than the year before. But you've also got to take into account they're slightly fresher because they swam half the distance, and so um, you want to you want to celebrate it both ways. But you want to look at it realistically. I think that's the first point we want to make is okay, you've you've ridden faster, which is great. Um, but let's look at the story behind it. And we spoke about this last week on the race analysis review. You know, what's the story behind all your numbers? Um, you executed better, you felt really good, but you were probably slightly fresher than um, the year before because you hadn't done a nineteen hundred meter swim. Um, but we don't want to discount that performance based on the execution so that's probably one of the first points we want to make about assessing a pb is the pb doesn't have to come from the total time although it can um we want to look at your execution you know was your power and speed up um from last year um was your power up but your speed was the same or potentially slower indicating that you know the conditions were not favorable but you were riding stronger um so had you ridden that power on the course last year you probably would have gone a lot faster um yeah, I guess that's the starting point is thinking about your execution and looking at other bits of data to see potential improvements. So, George, in that specific example, on the bike, you could have accidentally been stuck in a bunch of 30 riders and and you could have way lower power, but exactly the same average speed that you did the previ- previous year. So how do you define whether that was a success or not? And obviously, if you did ride in a bunch, which you're not intentionally trying to do, you would be fresher to run faster. So there's all these nuances about what actually happened in that specific race, which you should be looking at to work out whether that was a successful PB day or not. 
And we want to be realistic. I think the point and the main reason we want to be realistic is so that we're not setting ourselves up for future failure because you might get a faster time, but if you're ignoring the reasons why um, and then you never get close to that time again, you know, you're going to be disappointed with all future races. So it's important to be realistic about the story of the race to go, if you if you rode, if you, if you finish with a half Ironman time of 4.57, but then your next three half Ironmans were all 5.05 or 5.10, but the conditions were completely out of your, out of your control or favor, in that 4.57, you happen to be in a pack and, and really get some good speed, yet really good bike conditions, um, then you know that, that result becomes unachievable for, you, for, you, for the future. So I think, yeah, understanding this starting point is really important. But I want to ask the next question, and that is, what is our golden rule for time trials? When we've got an athlete doing an FTP test or a 60K time trial or a 40K time trial or a 5 or 10K run or half marathon time trial. Our number one rule, uh, which we always start with, is refers to your previous PB. So can you take us through what is your instruction to all athletes of how they should start that time trial? Yeah, and it's a really good starting point because if you've across your data from the last month up to six weeks, that's probably as far back as you should go. You should be looking at where your form is. And the goal is to start where your current form is. For example, we have this beach road time trial that we do locally here and and I think I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast and I've, I've probably done, I don't know, 25 of those beach road time trials over the last five or six years, probably more because um, we average probably four or five per year. And just so happens that we've done six, I think, this year and, and in the last six weeks we've done three. So for my own example, just to make everybody understand what the point I'm trying to get across is, I looked at what I did last race and it was 250 watts. And so that's where I started my next race around that number because I felt like my form was similar to what it was three weeks ago. I, I felt a little bit better, but I wanted to be conservative. So I wanted to start somewhere around where I left off the total average power that I left off with for the last race not my last mm-hmm. minute's power but the total average power of my last race that's what I'm going to try and aim at and maybe a little bit more conservative underneath that and and that's going to set me up for you know to do the same as I did last time and if I feel good throughout the race I can actually use that as my starting point and then build on that and then I should end up with a PB and over the last three of those races I think I went from 250 then the next race I started at 250 and ended up averaging 268 and then last weekend we did it again I started at 268 and I averaged ended up Mm. averaging 280 by starting conservatively so there's there's three examples of me using my Mm -hmm. previous data to make sure that that's where I was starting and had I not trained consistently I would have had a different scenario I would have started way lower if I had missed training sessions or um, I had some injury or illness, I would have started not at, not at the previous average, but maybe 5% lower just to give myself more room for, um, for preventing myself from blowing up. And that's really what a time trial goal is. You're trying to get to the finish by riding as, as hard as you possibly can without blowing up. That is actually the goal. Yeah, that's such a really good point. And the way you uh, describe it is start where you finished off. And some people misconstrue that and hear that as, well, whatever I was riding at the end, I'll start at that. And sometimes in the last minute or two, you're, you're letting everything out of the tank and you're, you're riding at 290 watts. That's not what you're saying because your average was 268. So don't start at 290 because you'll you blow yourself up. But the theory behind it is you've trained consistently for a period, you've trained consistently for a block, or if this is race between race, you know, hopefully since last year, you've trained really well for the year and you've improved. Um, you can afford to start where you averaged off last time. 
again, we're always starting conservatively, so slightly under. Again, the example you used was start at 268. You probably started the first minute or two at 260 to 265 and built from there, but knowing that that's a really great starting point. So I think that's a, that's a really good thing for people to understand for not just time trials or or testing conditions, but for the actual race as well. To to know, And not only to know for a PB in the race, but it also sets up how you should train. So if you, you know, you rode, you ended up riding 200 watts for the 90K in your race, you know, that's a really good piece of data for you to then use for the next year of training to go, well, if I want to improve next year when I come back to Melbourne Half Ironman or I come back to my next Half Ironman race, I know that I can, when I was in peak form and I and I trained really well for this, I held 200 watts for 90K. Well, the goal for next year would be to hold higher than that. So we're not saying that means you ride um, 200 watts in every session. Obviously, in your high, high intensity sessions, you're going to be way over that. But it means whenever you're doing a practice, you know, mock time trial or you're doing a sub-threshold session, um, you're using that number of 200 watts for 90K as a reference point for what you're trying to improve on for the next year. So um, can you explain that a little bit when, you, when you're thinking about you know, future long-time trials and future um, potential shorter races or, or sub-threshold sessions. Yeah, it's a great point you're, you're raising. And and taking it one step further, uh, just use the example you used. Uh, say my, my 70.3 90-kilometre power number was 200. Um, and I knew that 200 gave me 40 k's an hour. So you know that the average speed you ride will determine what the time is uh, for that distance. So... So 40 k's an hour will give me a two-hour 18.90 k. So, so if I want to ride two hours 16, I've got to ride 40.2 k's an hour or 40.5. So we know 200 watts equals 40. So our goal is to push our power up to 205, and therefore we know that that will equal 40.3 k's an hour. So they're the things that we're trying to we're trying to you know not do the whole thing together. We're trying to go okay, improve my watts maybe. Maybe if I'm lighter, I'm still going to be or more aero or better better bike fit. I can actually get that average speed where I want it, which will give me the time I want. So they're the things that will set you up mm-hmm. for PBing. And and you know what 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 are we trying to do here in in PBing? We're we're trying to actually get the most out of ourselves for that particular um, sport that we're doing, and we're using triathlon at the moment, time trialing. Um, so it would be the same in your running or your swimming. You you know. You know what you're doing in training, uh, so therefore, if you want to do a PB, you're going to have to work out exactly in your race strategy what you've been doing currently, where your form is, and then insta- in- input that into your race plan, which we talk about a lot in, in preparation. But the PB is the the taking the next step. The, the, the personal best performance will only come if you set this stage for it. So if you give yourself a chance by, give, you know, the first example we used, then then you can actually take more risk because you know you've done 200 watts before as the example. So if you're feeling okay, then I want my personal best to be better today. So I'm going to put the effort in knowing that I have done 200. That's the safe. That's my safe number. Well, that's my personal best. So that's absolutely what I've done before. And if my form is similar <laughs> and you know that, then it's time to take the PB comes with you taking a risk. And and that risk can go one of two ways. You can get the result you want or you'll blow up. And and that's where you've got to be really in tune with your body in or oh, how am I feeling? Asking yourself all these questions like we talk about in your race strategy plan. How am I feeling? Can I push this number up? 
Um, and is it going to affect my run if we're talking triathlon? But if we're just talking an individual time trial or, or a marathon or a half marathon run, your, your risk taking to get that PB has to be measured. And, and I've seen examples of people, okay, I want to do a PB. I'm so excited. I've got the 60K out of my 90K time trial. And all of a sudden they go from 200 to 215. Well, that's a ridiculous risk. That's going to end in pain. That's going to end in a blow up. You have to be measured. Go from 200 and squeeze it to 202 to 203 for the next 10K and see where that takes you. And then squeeze it again for another two or three watts. Now I'm at 206. Oh, I'm still coping. Great. Let's squeeze some more watts out of this for the next 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, you've gone from 200 to 215 watts in the space of 30K rather than 5K. Because you feel good, that doesn't mean you just go all out still with 30K to go. You can do that if you want, but the risk is too great, I feel. So, so the personal best, the PB that we're trying mm. to do, still has to be based around execution. It has to be based around... Um, conservative start and there's very rare do I see someone who does a PB first half who gets a PB second half it does happen it, there are exceptions but if mm. you start conservatively you give yourself more opportunity to actually get a total PB your second half will be a big PB because because that's how you get the personal best performance by starting conservatively and trying to even split or negative split if you're if you're capable of doing it but but the personal best is you deciding where am I in this race? And if we're talking about um, a 10K fun run, you know, and you're trying to run 40, 40 minutes, and we know that's four-minute K pace, if you get to 7K and you feel like you're in control and, you're, and things aren't falling apart, then that's the time to try and run the next 3K at, at 358, 356, and 350. And before you know it, your time will be 39.30, and that's a massive PB. And it's not too late with 3K to, to go to do that. And it's not too late with 2K to do to, to do those changes. So, so they're examples of what you can do and how you can get the PB in the moment. Yeah, for sure. And that's such a brilliant example. And it's the reason why we, we do such smaller time trials so consistently. We're constantly doing 20-minute FTP tests. We're constantly doing a 5 and 10K time trial because time trials because as your program progresses, if you're improving those um, shorter time trials, theoretically, as long as you're doing the right training program, you're doing the right endurance, you're doing the right race-ready style sessions, those 5 to 10K improvements or those 20-minute FTP test improvements indicate that over the 21.1K and a half marathon or over the 90K or 180K on the bike, you will improve there as well. Again, that is as long as the training program is facilitating that. But um, the, yeah, the, the, you just gave great examples there. And if we, if we took a running uh, example again using the half Ironman race, um, you know, if you average 5.30 for the half marathon at the end of the half Ironman, um, over the next year, you know, that is your goal to improve your five and 10K times and then keep testing yourself. You might, you don't have to do consistent half marathons, but, um, you know, d throwing in 15K efforts here and there where you are running 5.15 pace or 5.20 pace or even, you know, potentially faster running 5.05 to 5.10 pace if you're improving and you're getting, you're able to run that. Um, that shows that in the half Ironman, half marathon at the end of a half Ironman, next time you'll be able to beat that time. You'll be able to run 5.25 or 5.20. 20 pace again as long as you execute well and you start conservatively at where you finished last time at 530 given your form is good that's how all these things start to line up and and you get a pb yeah and i've got a great example from melbourne one of the athletes dane who came to us mm, probably five main races ago which might have been uh, nearly a year i think and his his pb for the half marathon in an in a in a 70.3 
was around 4.38 pace. And over the progressive races that we've done, he's brought that down to f- in the 4.20s. And then the, the last race he did, he did a 4.22, which, by the way, is a 17-second per kilometre improvement in a race, which is fairly handy PB, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about getting that PB. It doesn't have to be the total race, but it's this is just an example in a triathlon where his running's coming down. And in his race strategy, he was saying, you know, 4.22 is where I'm going to aim for, which is exactly right. And But I'm saying to him, your form at the moment, you're basing that decision on your last of event. Your form is better than that. And I think you're making a mistake. You're being too conservative. And this was a great conversation between athlete and coach where I'm saying, you're capable of running 4.10 to 4.18. And he's almost silent on the other end of the phone going, do you really think I can do that? And I'm saying, I wouldn't tell you that if I didn't think you can do that. You are absolutely capable of doing that. Yeah. And, you know, when he came back at the end of the race and we were at the, the tent at the finish, you could not wipe the smile off his face. And when I went home and looked at the data, he ran a, he ran the best he's ever run. He ran a 4.18. So he knocked off another four seconds um, yeah. off off that pace for per kilometre. So he's now in the 120s for yeah. a half, half marathon. Yeah. When I looked at his data, Jord, he yeah. started at the 4.25 pace, got to the 4.22s, then mm-hmm. he knew he was in mm-hmm. control and and he just went faster and faster. He ran his last, I think his last 5K in 4.08. I think his last 10, or the 5, 5K to <laughs> yeah. the 15K, the 10K to 15K, I'll get that out in a minute. The 10K to 15K, I think he ran 4.15. Mm-hmm. So he ran 4.20s for the first mm-hmm. 1 to 5K, then then 4.18 for the next, and then he, then he brought it down mm-hmm. to uh, 414 or 415 and then he finished off with some ridiculous yeah. four minute k pace for the last k and you know yeah. that's that's how you do a pb that's and yeah. and so so mm-hmm. just going by the example we used early you know look at what you did last race or your um that that's good but it's actually not that accurate uh it's a great start point but but find out what you are capable of doing. And mm-hmm. and he went back to his, and he does some unbelievable preparation. I, se- I think I sent you his email um, with his uh, race plan. Yep. And it was every training session that he's pretty much ever done. And he had his 16K run off the bike and he ran for 15 or 416 pace. And he had a 12K, he had a 10K. This is after a 70K or a 90K or a 60K uh, training session where we're doing race specific, race ready training. Um, you know, in that last six weeks, he had he had multiple examples of where he'd he'd ridden the 220 watts that he wanted to ride, and then he got off the bike and he'd ran around the number that we thought he could do, uh, that he thought he could do pre- from previous races. And you know, when he did a one-off 10k time trial, that gives me more data about what is your form right now. And we do that prior to the main race to find out what your half marathon and 10k and 5k numbers are. And depending on who the athlete is, you'll do one of those three. And, you know, he was well within the range of 410 to 418, not 422. And that's an example of, of getting the PB right with getting the right information and then executing brilliantly. So it's not just one thing. It's a combination of many facets that, that mm-hmm. come into calculation when you're actually planning it and then executing it. Um, and there's one yep. thing about planning. That's, that's all talk. Yep. Executing, that's all the doing. And, and that's what I loved about it. And that's what makes it so exciting and so gratifying is that you actually executed. 
And that's great clarification on the, you know, the rule motto that we said is, you know, start where you finished off. That really applies for minor scale time trials where you're testing yourself every month, every four to six weeks. You know, that's a really good way to go about it. But as you said, when you're, testing, when you're looking at race to race, which could potentially be a three-month, six-month or 12-month gap, you need to take into consideration your form differences. And that's the point you just brought up then, which is great. So one of the next steps is to go, okay, if I want to improve on last time, and this is at the start of your journey, you're, you're re- reviewing your race, like we spoke about last week, you're doing post-race analysis. Okay, if I want to improve next time, where do I find the improvement? And you've got to look at your own um, execution and look at and potentially look at the three legs and go swim, bike or run. You know, where can I get more out of myself? Maybe you're a really strong runner and you're right at the top of your potential range there and you can always improve. Um, but maybe you need to be spending more time on the bike or swimming or vice versa. Um, and that is your focus for the next you know, training block or your focus before next race to really get the most out of yourself. And I think the, the lesson there is, you know, spend the time where you're going to get the most gains. Yeah. And look, the simple answer would be we all need to improve our swim, bike and run, don't we? So, you know, it almost, it's, <laughs> it's almost a given, isn't it? But the point you're making, and it's a really good one, we need to dig yeah. into the, the micro scope of um, where what you're talking about. And if you spent six sessions a week swimming, you might get an extra 30 seconds, an extra 45 seconds, maybe a minute over a six-month period. If you spent an extra... Depends where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. Yeah. There's a lot of generalizations there. If you spend an extra one or two sessions or extended time, on the bike over a three-month period, you have potential, again, depending on what your current form is. And if we're talking about guys who are at the pointy end who are, who are winning, they're not going to improve more than a minute or two. But we're talking about the average age grouper, and that's the, the majority of people we're talking to generally is if you're a mid-packer, um, and this applies to everybody in the race, but the bigger gains are going to be the people in the middle of the age group or towards the end. So, you know, you could potentially get a five to 20 minute improvement on the bike if you spend a little more time focusing on the things mm-hmm. in the program that will enable you to become a better bike rider. Um, and on the run, the same thing. If you spent more time um, than, than that on the bike or the run or the swim, um, we're talking specifically triathlon here, that is going to give you more bang for your buck. But if we talk about a single sport like, like running or like time trialing or, or ocean swimming, the same thing happens, you know, you, you need to spend more time on the weak, weaker areas you have and delving into those, you know, as a runner, do you have the strength from all your endurance runs in the hills to, to hold the pace at the back end of your marathon or half, or half marathon? There, that's an example yep. of a specific yep. target that you're trying to do. On the bike and, you know, on the time trial, you know, mm-hmm. have you been doing the right work in that threshold training or in that VO2 area or is it all endurance and you haven't done anything in your race-specific uh, training mm. that matches what you do on race day? Uh, as a swimmer, ha- have you gone into the ocean and practiced ocean swimming when you've just been in a pool the whole time? Uh, all those little things that you can do, um, that if you really break down the swim, bike and run in triathlon or to break it down as a runner or as a bike rider or as a swimmer individually as their own one-off sports, you can find an, an enormous room for improvement uh, in the training alone. But there's, there's other things you can do, but the training yeah. can be yeah. more specific to what your weaknesses are. You still need to concentrate on the things you're doing well, 
yeah. keep doing those, but but be more specific on the areas where you think you can get more gains. Yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant line of thought and questioning. And I think breaking down the individual legs, the swim, the bike, and the run, and asking some more deeper questions. So exactly what you just said. Are you in the swim, you know, is your stroke letting you down before your lungs? So are you, um, are your arms getting tired before your heart rate and your breath, you know, and does that indicate that you're not practicing your stroke technique enough or you're not spending enough time volume in the water or the open water or your lungs giving out, you know, you're probably not used to you know, swimming at that intensity for long enough, you know, or maybe you're really good for 500 meters or okay, but then that last 900, you're, you're really fading in the swim, indicating that you just need to spend, be spending a bit more time for volume. Same with the bike. Uh, are your lungs, you, you always ask the question, is it your lungs or your heart? You know, are your legs giving out? Um, before your heart rate or is your heart rate through the roof um, with the intensity um, and that could be indicating that there's not enough you know vo2 intensity in your program um, but there's a lot of endurance you know you're, you're a real endurance monster but you're not good at that top end um, or the vice versa you know your um your lungs feel um your lungs are struggling because you're uh, or your lungs are feeling really, really really good because you're good at high intensity but you just haven't got the endurance to keep the power for a full 90k maybe you're really good at 20k time trials or 40k time trials you're good at sprint or olympic distance but it's just not translating and we see that a lot in running as well where you might get a you might be improving your 10k pbs by a lot but it's not translating to the back end of a half ironman so you that shows that your your running form is really good for a fresh 10k um, but maybe you're not doing enough time trial running off the bike or, not, or enough running off the bike in general to be strong enough or enough hill work, exactly like you pointed out, to be strong enough in that last 5 to 10K. So they're things you can really start asking yourself to to find some improvement, but find out why you're actually um, potentially breaking down or, or cramping in a race or, or fading. Really important points to, to look at. So the next point I wanted to talk about was kind of this this concept of inputs versus uh, your inputs versus external inputs. And there are a bunch of cheat ways where you can just find time gains that don't have to rely on your own physical fitness or form or training improvement. Obviously, that's all your physical inputs, you know, your training, your race execution, your mindset on the day. You know, you can find more time by potentially, we've spoken about this, having a better mindset on the day and having a better mental action plan. But there's also these external inputs, which are just cheat ways to find more time, which are, are well worth it. You know, you can uh, the external inputs, uh, external inputs are the equipment you're using. So, can you improve your bike? Can you improve your your aero helmet? Can you improve your skin suit? Your bike position? Can you improve your wetsuit? Um, what technology are you using? Are you have you got an accurate power meter? Can you improve your um, aero wheels? Can you improve your nutrition? Is the fuel you're, fuel you're putting in actually detracting from your performance because you're not fueling properly enough? You know, you're just sticking to potential coke or the power rate from the stations and you haven't got proper nutrition. So there's all these little cheat hacks that will actually get you a PB performance um, if you didn't even change your actual fitness. Yeah, it's a great point, isn't it? And we talked about that early, which we wanted to dig into. And this is free, this is free PB. You know, I'm trying to do a personal best and I've got to the race mm-hmm. with this amount of fitness and that's all, that's, that's all. I've got this and this is where I am. But if you do a whole lot of these things better, you could find another 5%. And that could that could equate in a half uh, marathon or a marathon or a 10K to a 30-second improvement just by thinking about your mindset and how you're going to approach the actual race and are you up for it and and are you ready for, you know, the the task ahead and you know have you prepared properly with your strategy? That's just that's just without doing anything with equipment. That's just you getting in tune with the day and being up for mm. the challenge and i think that that has more value than than almost everything else you can do uh on the day where that's free that's free pb 
that's that could you know if you have the mindset i don't want to do it i'm i'm not feeling well i'm feeling fatigued you probably shouldn't even do the event if that's if that's your mindset you need to you need to be up for it you need to and that's where we talk about the enjoyment factor of what you're doing in in this sport and i'm i'm not talking about this sport as in triathlon i'm talking about in this this exercise uh, physical sport that we do where we train our bodies to, 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 to get the maximum we can. And we want, we're all the time about personal best. We're all, all the time about trying to do better than we've done before. So, so this is what you've entered these races in for because A, you enjoy doing it, you enjoy the training, but B, you are motivated by improvement. And if, if you, you know, ring me and say, no, I, I want to have a training program, but I don't care if I improve. I would say that's absolute garbage. You would not want a training program if you didn't care about improving. And, and so, so, you know, mm-hmm. your, your, your goal could be that I just want to get fit. And that's, that's not what I'm not saying. That is, that is okay. But along that journey with getting fit, your expectation is that you will be a better athlete than you were before. And so this is what we're talking about. The personal best you achieve is such a really good thing to have as a goal. And, and, you know, in the early days when I was a youngster, it was you a winner or you were nothing. And that has changed in the world. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. people, people yeah. didn't want to participate back in the day because if they weren't any good at it, they just quit because there was, there was nothing in our society that was encouraging people to be a participant. It was all about winning. And, and, and that's great because you you get you get this um, this improvement amongst all those people who are striving to beat each other. But that's such a minor. And we use the marathon as an example. You know, that's such a minor group of people. That's that's in the one percent. What are the other ninety nine percent of people doing? They're, the they're, they're yeah. not doing anything. They're sitting on the couch watching the one percent of the elite people. And we're about getting those ninety nine percent off the couch. And getting to do something that's going to help them be a healthier person for the rest of their life and have some fun along the journey and putting some PB performances in that equation is what we're talking about. So, so you know, this is something that you could, you know, really get your mind around um, and get some really good feedback. And there's no doubt that the chemical releases we have when we, we identify that we have improved from one training session or one race to another that is addictive and that that's what we that's what we actually enjoy and so this topic is brilliant because it is actually telling you how to go about it and where you can find the room for improvement and mm. and the mindset is the underrated one it's the elephant in the room that people think oh yeah that's just airy fairy that's not it is so critical for anything you do if you know, I, there's one athlete we have. I, I said to a couple of guys over the weekend. He set he set the fastest time on the weekend's time trial, and I I said this guy has got the mind of someone who just cannot be beaten down. He is so strong minded <laughs> that no matter how hard he's hurting, it, it, he's just going to push through. I don't think I've ever coached anybody like it. It's quite impressive. Um, we did a we did a a, uh, yeah. a ride earlier the day before actually and uh he was telling me how much he was struggling on that ride and and we have this certain loop that uh, he ended up winning but uh halfway through that loop he was just saying how bad he was feeling next day he comes out and wins a time trial 
you know, he's such a competitive beast that that's an example I'm telling you about how the mind is overcoming the physical. I don't think he's in that great shape at the moment. He's not been that consistent, but his mind is, you're going to have to do a lot of things to beat me today. And I just love that. Uh, And I'm not talking about winning here. I'm talking about if you get your mind right, you can overcome whatever you're wanting to achieve if you're a if you're a two hour thirty half marathon runner, and you believe that that's that's your limitation, you will always be a two hour thirty marathon runner, no matter how hard you train. But if you are willing to push and risk the mind, you can do whatever you want. And and you know that example I gave with Dame from a four twenty two to a four eighteen to a four ten, they're just examples of me mm. me talking him through and and getting him to believe that it is possible. I didn't actually have it in the in my show notes to dive into the mindset, but it, now that you're talking, it is such an underrated part. And for me personally, and I don't know if you're the same, that is probably the part I spend the most time reflecting on after a race. I go, where was I mentally strong and where was I potentially mentally weaker? And where did I potentially lose time? Because when I always I always refer to the third quarter as the hard part, that is where the race is the toughest, you know, because you, when you're getting towards the finish, you get that kind of second win back always. And that third quarter is when it's hurting the most, you're the deepest into the race. And that's when the demons come out and the mental demons come through. And, and that's that's where the real battle always starts, I feel. And I always finish a race and go, how did I go in that third period? You know, when you're, when you're trying to hold your exact pace. And I think about it in 5 or 10Ks where I've been in positions where I'm trying to hold 3.13 or 3.14 every second counts. And I'm just starting to slip and, and you're going, oh, it's just so painful to hang on and you go, no, I'm going to get to the end of this race. I'm going to regret it so bad if I let this slip by a couple of seconds and I, I end up running, you know, five or 10 or 15 seconds slower than my PB because I just let it slip here in this KO2. And that's the part where you, you're absolutely having to push yourself and go, no, hang on to the pace. Every second counts, really push it here. And then when you get to the end and you get to that last K and you, and you run home, it's so worth it. And so that's a great place to think about for your own race is to go in that third quarter you know, did I start to give up? Did I start to let the demons take over? And did I slow down and, and run five seconds slower or 10 seconds slower per K um, because of my mindset or because of my body? Because I wasn't fit enough. You know, there's kind of two questions there. And sometimes you get to the end and you just go, I had nothing. My body just could not do it. Um, but other times you go, oh, and only you know, you know, you know, deep down what you were telling yourself at that point. You just kind of say things like, oh, it just would hurt a little bit less if I just slowed down here, you know, and only you know that that's the reason you did it. But um, that can happen when you get to the end of the race and you go, oh, I know that I, I gave in a little bit mentally there and I, I let my body's pain kind of stop me from running that pace and um, that's disappointing and you don't want to feel that. And so, yeah, there's another area where you can find improvement. Yeah, and we don't want to harp on that too much. We don't want you to run through brick walls just to prove how tough you are. That's not what we're saying. But I think <laughs> I think you have yeah. made a great point. You You are very proud of yourself when you have been challenged and you are up for the challenge and, and you push through. That, that's what we're talking about. And only you can work that out, as you said. And you need to ask yourself that question. You should ask yourself, was I mentally tough today or was I a little bit weak? And, and there's been a heap of races where I've been disappointed in myself about when it got tough. I actually took the easy option because it was hurting too much and I was bitterly disappointed with myself at the end and you know that regret it lingers with me and actually motivates me to to not let that happen again next time and <laughs> yeah, and does. and I absolutely yeah. love that feeling 
uh, I don't care where I finished in the race. I do care where I finished in the race, but I don't care in this particular example. I care about whether I was up for it and I'm proud if I actually push through. And I've told a few stories about where I was actually, you know, collapsed off the bike and got up and kept going, kept walking up a hill when I was, you know, beyond continuing in the event but I had that mindset of I am going to get to the finish no matter what and they're examples of extreme behavior which I wouldn't I wouldn't be pushing people down that path but but you know you get very proud when you know that you've actually done your best and and you know you're very pleased with the outcome because you didn't let yourself down and do the tank yeah and I think I think that's worth considering and there's there's a free pb there for sure Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And look, we are human and we've spoken a lot about this episode about the, the, the external time and we spoke about it last week. The external time, you don't want to put all your happiness into that part. You know, you want to put it into the execution and, and your performance and how proud you are. But we are human and we love seeing a PB and we love seeing a faster time. We just can't help it. You know, there's a big dopamine hit there. And so where you can find free time gains, do it. When you can find it in equipment or nutrition, do it. Um, transitions is another big one. You know, we, you specifically tell people not to rush too much in transition, take your time get it right don't panic you know don't get too much adrenaline that kind of thing but then people take that too relaxed and they just cruise in transition and you know over t1 and t2 especially in a half ironman where there's kind of usually bigger um bigger runs from the swim to the bike bike to the run etc um transitions can be, be total between four and eight minutes and if you're dawdling and taking seven minutes you could give yourself you could wipe off an extra three minutes if you just you know if you're really efficient you're not dawdling and you're not rushing but you're really efficient and uh yeah that's a, that's a really easy way to get a faster time in a triathlon efficiently fast is what i like to put the heading in my t1 and t2 be efficiently fast but but don't be panicking don't be rushing and don't be dawdling you've just got to be in that you know, we, we talk a lot in our podcast about being a balanced athlete. T1 and T2 is exactly that. Be, be don't, don't be extremely fast or extremely slow. Be balanced and efficiently fast where you're getting the time you deserve rather than adding, you know, losing one and a half minutes in T1 and then losing another minute and a half in T2. That's three minutes you've just given away. For all the work you did in the swim and the bike and the run, mm-hmm. I'm not happy with that you know that that <laughs> yeah. needs to change and yeah. every every second counts um yeah. i don't care whether you're doing a six hour half iron man or a four hour marathon the difference between when it goes to 359 or four hours means a lot but if it's a four hour 20 or four hour 1950 well you know that could be your pb and and that's important if if that's what you want mm-hmm. um so we're 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 talking again yep. about what it takes to get a PB and some people are going, I don't really care about that. And that's okay as well. Um, but this topic is absolutely on giving you the gains that you can put in, implement into your race strategies. The last one, which we touched on a little bit, but I really want to reiterate is the course itself. And we've, we, the time trial example, you use this local time trial, we're getting guys and girls get PB gains just from understanding the course more. They've ridden the course so much. They know where they can be finding more time gains on the uphills and they know that they can just relax in sometimes the downhills and not strain themselves because they want to reserve that good power for the uphill sections or the hardest parts of the course. So if you're doing a race where you know the bike leg, you know the run leg, you know the course, you've done it before, you can find more gains. And we've gone through with our coaching group you know, the next half Ironman uh, locally for us is Geelong. That's a really specific course where you can get much more time gains on the uphills and the hard parts and the headwinds than the downhills. And when athletes do it right, without even adding any extra fitness, they can improve their times on the bike. Again, it's free gains when you do it properly. And I personally had my own example last year where for a time trial race, 
six days out, went and did the time trial, full race setup, full race kit, full aero helmet, aero disc wheels, everything. Um, did the event as a recon. Six days later, did the same event and improved the time by 30 to 40 seconds. My fitness had not improved in six days. There was absolutely no way. Um, taper, maybe slightly fresher, but majority of the time gains was from understanding the course and knowing where to push the power more, analyzing each part of the course. Six days later, same thing, 30 to 40 seconds quicker. And I think that is just that was in a 16 minute time trial, you know, in a 90K event. Yeah, you can get massive gains from doing the course properly. So again, free ways to get a PB. Uh, not only knowing the course, that's one part of it, but actually knowing how to execute on that course. So knowing the course has got 16 left turns, 15 right turns, three U-turns, that's important information. Um, so, you know, how do you manage your power? How do you manage your strategy about those turns? And will that affect your normalized power against your average power? Um, so the more turns you have, the bigger the gap is going to be between normalized and average. So therefore, what are you looking at, normalized or average? And these are the things that, that we're talking about, which will make you make better decisions. And then where are the hills? How many hills are there? How long are they? Where is the, where is the wind coming from? Understand that on race day. Look at it. Look at the, the weather and know that the wind's coming from the east or the north or the south. Know where the headwinds are. Work that out before the race starts. So you have a clear idea. I know before the race started that this should be the tailwind section and therefore I don't need to be at the top of my range. So, so you know, these are all things that will help you get a better outcome um, just by knowing the actual conditions of the, of the weather on the day. And we're not actually talking about the, the nuances of the courses turning and, and, and twisting and hills and, and, and downhills, et cetera. So, so we've, we've really got to be across all of that information uh, at the same time as all the other things we've talked about. But this is quite crucial in determining, you know, if you if you know that you're, you're going to be unable to push power because it's such a big tailwind in the range that you want to, or it's a tailwind downhill, you need to be across your power so much that you can say, dismiss that, that's not relevant to improvement of my bike ride. Or in the headwind, you know that you need to be at this point for this amount of time on an uphill because that's the important thing that's going to give me a better time. So you've got to discern or differentiate between the areas that are unimportant and the areas that are more important. And once you understand that, then you can execute to the conditions on the day and the course. So, so the conditions, the wind and hills, the course, where are the hard parts, where are the easy parts? Um, and and where are the turns, etc. And what should my power be uh, around those uh, nuances of of the course? So, so there's so much in this section that that you know you, we could spend half an hour on hmm. on giving an example. And I'll use one example, George, just before we finish. And one of our athletes who's training for Ironman Busso has been using Lake Eildon as his circuit for uh, a lot of his race specific stuff. He drives from Melbourne to Lake Eildon, which is quite a long way to drive this is how far this person is willing to go so he can actually execute his training session properly he can't do it in melbourne he can't do this because he only is able to train his endurance day on a wednesday not on a weekend so on, on a wednesday there's just too much traffic mm -hmm. everywhere so he has to go out to lake hilden so one week he's done 160k uh, race specific uh, time trial and he i think he I think I might have told this story before, but he rode five hours 25 for 160K and his average power was right in the zone, right where we wanted it to be. 
And when I looked at his graph, he did have the right power in the right zones, but he also had half an hour in zone two and another half an hour in zone one. And he had half an hour in zone five and half an hour in zone six. And those two uh, hours took away from his two hours in the, the correct zone. I said to him, next week or the next time you do a long, a long race specific, and it happened to be a, f- a few weeks later, or might have been a week later, I can't remember now, but it was 180K. So it was 60K further than he did the previous week. And he did five hours 25 and he did that power. So the next week he did 180K, his time was five hours 25. So he did the same time as he did for 160K and his average power was the same. But he had nothing, basically, in zone one and two and nothing in zone five and six. So he'd moved his power ranges to the right area. So he had the same average power, but he just got rid of those outliers, time below the the power that he wanted and time above the power he wanted. And he improved 20 kilometers on what he did the week before. Well, that's about 35 minutes he improved by just riding the same power, riding the course differently, according to the wind and the hills and staying in the ranges that that we wanted and that's an example of free speed same fitness but just rode the course completely different rode the conditions completely different rode the power numbers completely different and if you can't understand that rewind this what I just what I've just told you and listen to it again because that is mm. that is gold information about how you can get free speed for the same fitness level it's, a, it's quite a hard one to grasp because you think, what, same power, same course, how could you possibly do 20 kilometers faster for the same time? That just shows that the average speed of the ride was so much higher uh, because you put the power down in the right areas. And that is a hard one to grasp. But as, as you just said, re-listen to it if you need to because that is just so important. Um, but there's quite an extensive list we've done today to how to find a PB. There's a lot of ways that you can do it. So we hope you've enjoyed this list. We hope you apply any of these lessons to give you a PB for your next race because it is really fun to do a PB, whether it's a sprint, Olympic, half Ironman, Ironman, uh, or any race. You know, these are all these principles apply to get a PB. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks as always for listening. See you on the next one.